Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshaw. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks so much for listening to The Sword and the Trowel. We're grateful for those who tune in. We're pressing on. I'm not sure what number this is. This is uh, like in the dozens. We're, we're way up du- there. We're double digits still, but we're well into the double digits. We are way up there, man. We have a Southeast Regional Founders Conference coming up. I know, and you got a little Very thing soon. holding down at you. Know, like goes in what is it? I just don't like what the earbuds, man. Are you like the Secret Service? Hurts. Secret Service, is that what that is? That is, I'm in Secret Service. All right. Uh, December 5th through the 7th, the law and the gospel. Law and the gospel, Cape Coral, Florida, Southwest Florida, when the rest of the nation is freezing. That's right. We'll Come be on awesome. Down. Right here. This yeah. is where we are. Come Grace join Baptist us. Grace Church. Yeah, we'd love to have you. Tom Hicks, Jared Longshore, uh, myself. We would be glad to have you come participate. Hey, in our first segment, we always like to try to deal with something either relevant to ministry or going on in the culture. And there is a fascinating issue that's coming up concerning the U.S. Health Department, concerning abortion, concerning the LGBTQ community. Let me lay it out here best I can and then have us assess what's going on. Um, There are certain associations that are opposing what the U.S. Health Department is recommending uh, concerning religious exemptions. So U.S. Health Department has come to out. To Obamacare. To Obamacare. Yeah, right. So U.S. Health Department has come out with certain rules, certain stipulations, proposed rules mm-hmm. that grant uh, religious exemption in cases where doctors are having to go in and perhaps doing some kind of um, surgery or some kind of um, health care for those who are LGBTQ. Or perform an abortion. Or performing an abortion. And I haven't read everything in the U.S. Health Department, you know, proposed rule. <laughs> nobody okay? has. No, nobody has. Nobody has. Um, but, you know, wait, gen- wait, generally we gotta, speaking. we got to adopt it before we can read it. Right, right? that's right. <laughs> if we can understand what's in it. Generally speaking, that sounds like a pretty good thing to me. I've got, you know, Christian friends who are doctors, and I know that they're yeah. facing all of these challenges, so that sounds like a good thing. But, well, hey, Jerry, let's make, make sure I'm understanding everybody else's understanding. There was an interpretation of the um, Affordable Care Act that was rendered by uh, a, a federal court in Texas at the end of December in 2016. So this is just during the change of administrations from Obama to Trump. And that court said that the, um, uh, the stipulations in this certain section of that act required doctors to do things despite their misgivings, you know, that their the interpretation was, okay, these doctors are not going to be uh, exempted from non-discrimination of certain groups. And, and it would follow the Civil Rights Act, but then interpreted it very broadly. That's what was happening. So if, if my understanding, that's what was there. And now the president administration is saying, we need to make sure that the interpretation is more restricted on the Civil Rights Act language than it was interpreted back in 2016. I think that's what this new proposal is. So the proposal's good, right? Yeah, the, yeah, that the yeah. U.S. Health Department is doing. That's so right. at least one of the one of the key aspects of that for our concerns are is the religious exemption. Yeah. So religion. you have a doctor who doesn't want to perform this kind of procedure, and based on his religion, he can exempt from it or That's she can right. exempt from it. And there is a group of six, there are different associations, medical associations, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Academy of Family Physicians and the American College of Physicians. There's six of them that are speaking out about this, mm-hmm. that are opposing what the U.S. Health Department has done. Here's a quote from their recent 
uh, public release. They say, last week, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services issued a proposed rule that would weaken non-discrimination protections for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning individuals under Section 1557 of the Affordable Care Act. The rule also allows for religious exemptions that could restrict women's access to reproductive health care. I.e. abortion. Abortion. I.e. abortion. So here it proposes these religious exemptions. And that's, you know, the thing that struck me as I read that is there's a collision course between these things. There's no neutrality. There's no middle ground here. It's you've got the Christian faith over here. Are you going to be able to be a Christian and continue to serve in the medical field when these people over here are saying, absolutely not, you must, you give me my abortion. Yeah. Like, you know, not just let me go find a doctor that can do it, but you do it. Yeah. You do it. You're not allowed to not do it. Right. Because you think the murder of the unborn is, is somehow yeah, wrong. We're not going to let you have your conviction and practice your uh, medicine. Yeah. So I, we have to see that there, there, are, there are two worldviews here entirely opposed to each other, and this is a collision course. Uh, they go on, again, this, these six associations. In addition, permitting health care entities that receive federal funding to refuse care to patients who have had a pregnancy termination will have a dangerous effect on access to care. Allowing religious exemptions, as the rule proposes, will discriminate against women seeking necessary reproductive health care services. Yeah. It's a collision course. There it is. One final, one final statement. They say, we oppose any laws and regulations that discriminate against transgender and gender diverse individuals. We oppose, listen to this, any medically unnecessary restrictions placed on women's access to reproductive health care. Yeah. Any, so we oppose any medically unnecessary, unnecessary restrictions. That means if I'm a doctor and I come in and, and the woman says, uh, I want an abortion, right? And I have a conscientious object, objection to that. I think that I think that this baby is uh, alive, and I think that that abortion would kill the baby. And I oppose based on that conviction. They say no. That's that's not medically. Yeah, it needs to be a medical reason. It has to be a medical. That's coming from a worldview. Yeah. It's a materialistic worldview. There is no. You can't exempt on anything other than the physical medical. And that gets more and more restricted play. based upon this. Godless worldview. Absolutely. Now, here's good news, though, is that we've got a, gr a group of Christian medical professionals that is pushing back on this. And so the Christ Christian Medical Association mm -hmm. uh, organizations that comprise American College of Pediatricians, uh, National Association of Catholic Nurse Nurses, um, they're pro-life OBGYNs, there are others as well. They've issued a public statement, and they are pushing back on these other uh, professional medical organizations, the group of six, as they call them, and they give a point-by-point -point rebuttal. For example, they say, okay, here's what are some of the inaccuracies in the group of six statements that you just read. First, abortion destroys a human life. And so when we're talking about medical care, we ought to be talking about medical care for all human life, and abortion destroys a real human life. They secondly very plain, plainly say abortion is not health care, and they cite all kind of scientific references, uh, and they footnote the, their 
their proposals here. Thirdly, abortion is not necessary for women's health care. That's a bold statement, but again, they've got this footnoted to academic articles about it as well. Fourth, abortion does not support the vulnerable. Uh, The unborn child, they say, is arguably the most dependent and therefore most vulnerable member of the human family, and every abortion intentionally kills an unborn child. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're bringing Christian worldview to this. Yeah, Yeah, and and what's great is, as I mentioned, this little phrase that the group of six have said, we oppose any medically unnecessary restrictions placed on women's access to reproductive health. They've done a great job. While I oppose that statement, first and foremost, it comes from a materialistic, deterministic worldview. Mm. Secondly, I want to say, okay, well, let's get on your ground, and which is what exactly what these faithful Christians have done. Let's get on your ground. I think it's medically necessary for the baby yeah, in the right. mother's womb. Yeah. Well, are we talking about life? It's absolutely medically necessary. So we'll grant you that, and we'll demonstrate that it's very much medically necessary that we exempt from performing this. Listen to what these Christian doctors go on to say in responding to the group of sixes statement. Abortion is not, quote, safe. They go on to write, as described above, abortion is not safe for the child. It's pretty obvious, right? Mm -hmm. For the woman, while it's often stated that abortion is safer than childbirth, data in this regard are incomplete and substantially biased. They have another point here. Abortion is not solely a religious issue. So they deal with this uh, in language of the care provided to the woman who is who is carrying a baby. Seven, abortion is not universally supported by any segment of society. And so the, all this smoke and mirrors, you know, we're all for this. We're all for women and their, their health care. Well, of course we are, but abortion isn't health care. Right. You know, at the, at the foundation, what we have to come back to as Christians is, the question, is Jesus Lord over the medical field or not? Yeah. Is he Lord over health or not? And he yeah. is. And therefore, we need to be going to him and getting our, our principles um, from what he sees. There, I, I want to uh, encourage people that are listening to this podcast to encourage the Christian friends you have who are doctors yeah, because they absolutely. face these realities every single day. There are t- I know I know of doctors that have had to pull out and they're having to do their whole independent kind of thing because they just can't operate in this kind in these kind of circumstances anymore. And I know others that are staying in that are trying to fight and trying to stand up for the truth and trying to simply say, "Can I, I want to be a Christian and still be able to to serve in these organizations and associations that are that are creating these things." So pray yeah. for them, write them notes, encourage them, use them employ them. And I would encourage everyone to begin conversations with your medical professionals. Talk to your doctors, ask them if they support the recent proposal uh, from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services uh, Department that has set forth this interpretation. Ask them about it and, and get involved in it. Because if you've got a doctor that is on board with pressuring the administration to have these broad interpretations of human rights that include protecting and advancing LBGTQ ideologies and abortion on demand, on demand, get a different doctor, Mm -hmm. get a different doctor. Absolutely. Hey, uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about a book, uh, the abstract of systematic theology by James P. Boyce, or just a great uh, work on Christian doctrine. 
Founders Ministries held its first conference in 1983. Since that time, we've expanded the ministry to produce books and journals and have regional conferences and fraternals to have a study center. Uh, we've done multiple things here in the United States and around the world to seek the recovery of the gospel of God's grace and the reformation of local churches. Our desire has always been to facilitate healthy church living. We want to resource pastors and church leaders. We couldn't have done that without financial supporters through the years. We've never made a big deal about financial support. We've never made great appeals for financial support, but we do need financial resources to do the things that we are doing. We are grateful for those who stood with us, and we would be delighted to have you come and join us in this ongoing fight to see the gospel of Jesus Christ maintain its pride of place in Christian thinking and in our Christian churches. Uh, we've established this new way of giving called the Founders Alliance Membership. I invite you to become a part of the FAM with us. There are different levels at which you can give to become a monthly supporter, or if you just like to make a one-time gift, we would welcome that as well. Uh, there's a big fight in front of us. We have a great concern that is arising among our churches and within the Southern Baptist Convention and beyond. And we would be delighted to have you stand with us, to unite with us, to join arms with us in this fight. Now, thanks for your support. Pray for us. If the Lord enables you to invest financially in this ministry, we would welcome that. Welcome back to The Sword and the Trowel. In this segment, we want to talk to you about a book that every Southern Baptist pastor ought to have in his library. It's The Abstract of Systematic Theology by James Pettigrew Boyce. This is the, uh, the systematic from the founding president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary that now is in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Boyce was the, the visionary who understood the importance of theological education for the Southern Baptist Convention, Baptists in the South in the 19th century. And these, his lecture notes on systematic theology were taken and compiled into this book. I think it was first published in 1887. It began to be used uh, for years as the textbook for systematic theology at Southern Seminary, your alma mater. Mm -hmm. And uh, it kind of laid forgotten for many, many decades until the early 1980s, when Fred Malone found a copy of it used in a bookstore and read it and thought, man, this is really significant. He passed it on to Ernie Reisinger. Ernie said, this is significant. Ernie began to raise money to have it republished. And then Ernie got permission to go to all six seminaries of the Southern Baptist Convention and give this book away to graduating students. It was really an incredible project. Well, I'm starting seminary in 1979, and so I'm just hearing about the Boyce Project as it's getting going, really, I think maybe in 80 or 81, something like that. And when Ernie came to campus and was giving these away, I was a first-year student, so I guess it was 79 or 80, the spring of 80. And I heard about it, and I went and asked him if I could get a copy, even though I wasn't graduating. And, of course, he gave me one. And that began my friendship, mm. lifelong friendship, until he died with Ernie Reisinger. It was fascinating because he was invited on the campus of all six seminaries. Well, you know what was going on in the 1980s. That's the inerrancy controversy and the conservative resurgence. And most of those seminaries invited him to preach in chapel. And so they would invite him to come. He'd give away the book. He'd preach in chapel. And he did that for a couple of years until one of the presidents read Boyce's uh -oh. systematic theology. Uh -oh. 
and that, that happened to be the president of my alma mater, Southwestern Seminary. And then uh, Ernie got uninvited to, from the campuses of our seminaries. And we had to figure out different ways to get this in the hands of students and pastors. But it has been a, a useful tool in provoking Southern Baptists in the modern era to think about theology and the importance of theology for pastoral ministry. Yeah, I mean, if you care about, um, you know, historic Calvinistic um, Baptist life, you really got to read this book. Yeah, you do. Um, he, I, I spent a lot of time studying a guy named John Dagg, who was a contemporary of James P. Boyce. Dagg wrote his own systematic theology, actually the first American Baptist systematic theology that was produced, mm. was produced by this John Dagg. But uh, Dagg's is more devotional, and it's it's going to be, it's much smaller, but James P. Boyce here is going to be um, more specific, more doctrinal, more in-depth. And polemical. And polemical. So this is a great resource. We highly encourage you. Yeah. to pick this up it's at founders.org yeah go to founders.org go to the press check out uh the abstract of systematic theology by james p boyce when we come back we're going to be continuing our study through the commands of scripture looking at luke chapter 13 verse 24 and what it means to strive to enter through the narrow door i want to invite you to the upcoming southeast regional founders conference in cape coral florida it's scheduled for december the 5th through the 7th and grace baptist church will be hosting it again this year the theme is going to be the law and the gospel and dr tom nettles dr tom hicks and dr jared longshore will be joining me as we try to set forth exegetically theologically pastorally and practically this vitally important subject in generations past it was not uncommon to find within the protestant reformed heritage those who recognized the significance of this theme to the degree that they would say a man was not really prepared to be a pastor if he didn't understand the relationship between law and gospel their distinctions and the way that they support one another one of the things that's forgotten in our day is that the God who gave us the gospel also gave us the law. And God loves his law as much as he loves his gospel. And Jesus Christ, who came and revealed to us salvation and has given us the gospel by his life, death, and resurrection, came and magnified the law. So mark your calendars and plan to join us in sunny southwest Florida in December the 5th through the 7th, for this Southeastern Regional Founders Conference. Registration will be forthcoming, so check, check us out at founders.org for more information. Welcome back to the Sword and Trial. In this final section today, we want to talk to you about one of the commands that we have in Scripture, one of the admonitions, the things that we're obligated to do. You know, Jared, one of the uh, realities that I faced early in my ministry as a pastor is that there were some streams of Christian teaching that just didn't take the verbs seriously. Mm. You know, they didn't take verbs seriously, and we have to do that. And certainly the indicative is foundation, but there's also significant imperative yep. to the Christian life. Here's one of them, Luke 13, 24, Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able the narrow door. This is the same thing that he refers to in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew uh, chapter 6 when he tells us that we are to strive to enter through the narrow gate. Mm -hmm. So what are, what are we talking about? What's Jesus mean here? Yeah, well, right there in the context before he says that, uh, Jesus has asked the question. It says, and someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Mm -hmm. And he said, strive to enter the narrow door. So there's... You know, I've heard people debate this and say, well, what's the deal? Because you have other texts that say there's going to be this great multitude, you know. Well, 
as the idea is that it's it's narrow now. Like in whatever season you're in, if you look at the world, well, it's a narrow door that people are entering. But, you know, time goes on, and a lot of people enter through the narrow door at the end. So I think that both of those ideas can be maintained. Yeah, well, he says here many will strive to enter, and they will not be able to do it. Yeah. So it almost gives the impression of people saying, Lord, please save me. We want to be saved. We want to be saved. We want to be saved. And Jesus saying, no, sorry, not you. Yeah, That's not, not, the, not the people that are genuine. Jesus isn't going to turn anyone out. He doesn't cast anyone out, turn anyone away who comes to him. Uh, but you do have the John Bunyan Pilgrim Progress exactly. idea here. I mean, you're exactly. going to have to labor. I mean, the, the way of Christianity is a road of trials, and it's a road where it's going to take, um, striving. We're not saved by works, but you're going to have to be press on and be diligent in keeping the faith. And you, you're going to have to enter that narrow wicket gate in Bunyan's allegory. And the folks that jump over the wall to get on the pathway, well, they're striving to get in. They want to be there, but they haven't come the right way. Um, which, which, this, what you said is very helpful there because I'm thinking about even um, things that have happened recently where there, there seems to be this, um, you know, challenge to Christians that their ways are narrow, mm. you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, well, you're not more accepting. Right. Right. And so <laughs> that, it, <laughs> a lot of people are thinking, okay, well, we really, maybe we are kind of narrow and maybe we should be more accepting on these other issues. And they're not thinking that actually they're adopting a worldview that's going to lead to their possible walking away from the Christian Yeah, faith. This, this is not our parents' world anymore. This is our world. And so in our world, there's all this breadth of you can be Christian homosexuals, you can be Christian LBGTQ. Mm-hmm. And so we just have to come to terms with that and listen and learn and embrace. And man, I mean, you get verses like this and it ought to make us back up and say, wait a minute, what does Jesus say that we need to strive to enter through the narrow door, the right way? The only way to get to God is through faith in Christ, bowing to King Jesus as Lord so that his word becomes our duty, our law. Bunyan illustrates this really well in one scene in Pilgrim's Progress where a Christian is taken to see a man who is uh, engaged in a fight. And he says, put my name down, sir. And Bunyan says, oh, I understand this. Yeah, as Christians, I understand the meaning of here. So he's going to fight to go through the right way. He's not going to be knocked off course. He's not going to be enticed to leave the pathway that's easier for an easier pathway. He's going to stay the course and maintain the the way that God himself has prescribed, which is turning from sin, trusting Christ, and living that way the rest of your life. Yeah, amen. We, we, we never want to be more narrow than Scripture. Right. But we do need to acknowledge that the Christian faith has a narrowness to it. Yeah. And um, the, the, I'm burdened for Christians to see this because uh, if you go to a lot of these good Christians right now and tell them, hey, your way's too narrow because you say Jesus is the only way, mm. well, they're going to stand strong. Sure. They're going to say, sure. you know, uh, well, you know, the Bible says Jesus is the only way. But I do think there's other, that what's going to happen is the temptation comes is you're, you're too narrow on these other issues right? that actually are clear in Scripture too, but you can give way on those issues. Yeah. You can give way on those issues and feel like, well, I'm still keeping Jesus alone. But what happens is a worldview is setting in, a mindset is setting in, an orientation is setting in that will work its way down. Yeah, no to, doubt to saying, well, this is too narrow. No doubt. As well. if, you, if it doesn't affect you that way, you just watch it affect your children. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to The Sword and the Trowel, and uh, we pray that you are greatly strengthened by tuning in here, and we look forward to seeing you next time.